We are actuaries. In a world filled with unpredictability, we use our math skills to navigate uncertainty. Actuaries make a difference in people's lives across industries and the world. Actuaries have the freedom to work anywhere. And according to U.S. News & World Report, we're the 25th top-paying career. Make an impact as a fact-seeker and a truth-teller. Use your math skills for good as an actuary. The world needs you. Blog Talk Radio. Blog Talk Radio. This is the Body of Christ Church, inviting you to our virtual event, where we discuss today's issues and how those issues relate to the Holy Scriptures. So sit back, relax, and engage in conversation with us. Bless you. I am Josiah, and welcome to our virtual living room where we examine recent events and other topics as they pertain to the Holy Scriptures. We give all praises to the Most High in Christ, and we give thanks for God's generous mercy, grace, and forgiveness. At this time, I'd just like to um, invite everyone to uh, join us also in the chat room. Uh, it is open and available for your comments and questions. Today's topics. I'm sorry, today's topic has to deal with an interview on CNN um, uh, with the uh, Reverend Carlton Pearson. And uh, it was, it was a, a really interesting interview for a lot of different reasons. And um, uh, we, we, the brothers here in the virtual living room decided this would be a, a great um, uh, interview to discuss a lot of different points because there were several points that were brought out. And uh, there was something that was kind of new to me, brothers, and uh, and that was the gospel of inclusion. And uh, joining me to discuss this gospel of inclusion, uh, we have, uh, first off, our brother Kabar. Shalom, brothers and sisters. With you on this early Sunday afternoon. And, of course, as always, giving all praise, honor, and glory to the Most High and the Son, Christ. We also have with us our brother Abacha. Hey, shalom, everyone. Right. And brothers, I, I know that um, you have uh, heard the the interview, and um, I don't know if anyone that is is in the chat room right now has access to that link to that uh, video, that interview on YouTube. But if you do, if you could post it in the chat room, that would certainly be appreciated. Um, and the reason why I'm doing that is because we're not going to play the 
interview in its entirety. Today's program is going to be an hour and a half because I think there's a lot, a lot of uh, territory to be covered here. And um, I don't want to play the entire uh, interview in its entirety, uh, but we're going to play uh, a number of clips from that interview. We're going to discuss it. We're going to play a clip, play a clip and then discuss it. So um, the first clip, uh, you know, is where uh, the, the, the Reverend Pearson speaks about uh, the gospel of inclusion. Here's the clip. I'll start with, um, why did you change your philosophy? Why did you go out on a limb and say, gays are accepted in heaven? Something that the black church disagrees with. Well, not only the black church, the church disagrees with it. And my gay friends, and I have several over the years, were some of the most sensitive, loving, creative, ingenious, generous people. Some are members of my family. Uh, I got tired of sending them to hell, but it was the hell issue. Uh, they're going through it now, but these brilliant human beings spending eternity in, in a customized torture chamber, you know, it, it, was a, it messed with my theology and my heart. And so I started preaching the gospel of inclusion, saying that Hindus, Muslims, Jews, everybody has access to the grace of the God we preach. And that not only a few Christians were going to heaven, and that's what got me in trouble with church. They, the devotion to the devil, <laughs> hell, is stronger or as strong as anybody's devotion to Jesus in many of the Christian circles. Now, Kumar uh, and Abaja, um, when, you, when you listen to him, he says he started preaching the gospel of inclusion, and, and basically it, it says something to the effect that, uh, you know, Hindus, Muslims, Jews, whoever, not just Christians, are able to uh, get into heaven, and, and which also includes gays. Um, and I, I know because I've heard people talk about this before, you know, but never knew that there was such a thing called the gospel of inclusion. But, you know, for them it sounded like a great idea. You know, it sounded like that was the appropriate thing. It, it's, a, it's aligned with uh, things that are in the Constitution. It's aligned with things that take place in society in general. You know, but, uh, Kabai, if you would just kind of speak a little bit about that, that gospel of inclusion. Where is that in the scriptures? Well, see, this is the thing that we're dealing with. And, you know, the most high that allowed this scene or uh, allowed this situation to come on the scene in the national consciousness for us to look at and address. And it's also an opportunity and a wake up call for people to really see, you know, are you really being taught the gospel? Who are these people that are supposedly leading you in these churches? And do you know the scriptures for yourself? This thing that this minister, he's a preacher of a large congregation in Atlanta where I do live and other brothers, and he's talking about this gospel of inclusion. Well, the, thing, the fact of the matter is there is no such gospel of inclusion in the entire Bible. The gospel that Christ preached, we can read about it in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 17 when it says, From that time Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Christ's gospel, the good news, is repentance, meaning that, yes, men have committed sins, broken God's commandments, but through Christ there is an opportunity to cease, to stop sinning, learn what is the commandments of the Lord, begin keeping that, and living out our days that we have left according to the doctrine of Christ. And then by doing that, we are going to, through Christ's sacrifice, enter into the kingdom of heaven. There is no gospel of inclusion. And the main thing he's talking about as far as this gospel of inclusion is 
by and large part that, of course, he's saying homosexuals, even though they are breaking the commandment of the Lord, they can uh, enter into heaven. And this is part of what he preaches in his gospel of conclusion. And it, it, you can hear in his statements, everything he's saying is I, what he feels, leaning on his own understanding, which is not, which we're not supposed to do according to Proverbs 3 and verse 5. Now, the scriptures, as far as what it says about homosexuality, yes, it is a sin, like many sins. It was a sin in Leviticus 20.13. It's a sin in Romans 1.27 when it tells you, and likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burning their lust one toward another, men with men working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that repentance of their error, which was meat. So it's showing you that God... Uh, acknowledge it as a sin and punish it because these sins are being committed. But the thing that we have to go to is this gospel of inclusion that he's speaking about. And that's why the scriptures told us clearly in Galatians 1 and 6 that we have to be very careful about any other gospel being preached. Galatians chapter uh, 1, verses 6 through 9, just three three verses real quick. It tells you, I marvel that ye are soon, that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, right, which is what we're talking about here, this gospel of inclusion. Verse 7 says, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and will pervert the gospel of Christ. Verse 8, but though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel than that which, ye have, than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. Verse 9. As we said before, so say I now again. If any man preach any other gospel unto you than that we have, than that ye have received, let him be a curse, meaning be damned. What the scripture call anathema, meaning it is a person that does not have the love of Christ, that has rejected the Bible and the scriptures and the salvation that Christ brings, and therefore has relegated to themselves eternal damnation. So this gospel of inclusion does not exist. The gospel that Christ preached and the disciples preached, according to Mark 6 and 12, is repentance. And anything outside of that is another gospel. And a person who preaches it and those who receive it are going to receive unto themselves damnation. All right. Uh, uh, Abaja, um, Kabar has just spoken about how the scriptures have nothing in it about the gospel inclusion. And it's brought out a number of other scriptures that point to a, a, a some errors in what um, the Reverend Carlton Pearson uh, spoke about. Um, now, he he carries the titles uh, of Reverend and I believe also a Bishop. All right? Reverend meaning revered. Uh, you know, I mean, seriously respected. Uh, being that type person, since he is a Reverend Bishop and so forth, what do you suppose is the reason that he would uh, come up with um, a statement that is so far into what's, uh, what's actually written in the scriptures. Well, I want to before, uh, really just address that. As, uh, I want to go to Romans chapter 3, verse 1, because the thing is, is that the authority that we're supposed to follow is the scriptures. Notice, like, when you played that clip, she kept saying, well, this is not accepted in the black church. Uh-huh. And he came back and said, this is not accepted in the church. But the church is not the authority as far as what sets the tone. The Bible is the authority, and it's the church's responsibility to uphold that authority 
that's written of in the scriptures. And I'm going to prove that with Romans chapter 3, verse 1. And this is when uh, Paul was dealing with those of the circumcision of those uh, the Jews that understood and followed the Levitical priesthood, but now they had to come to the understanding of Christ. And the relevancy is going to come out in verse 4, but I have to start at 1. It says, what advantage have the Jew, or what profit is there of circumcision? And that was going into the Levitical priesthood and things dealing with the sacrifices. He said, much every way, chiefly because that unto them were committed the oracles of God. So he's showing, that, showing them that the Jews, those people that were following the Levitical priesthood and the law of sacrifice, they had the advantage over the Gentiles, meaning the Israelites that were dispersed and scattered abroad, because they grew up and knew the commandments of God. They knew about the, uh, the laws concerning how you were supposed to deal, the dietary laws and things of that nature. But let's go further. Verse 3, he says, For what if some did not believe? Shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? God forbid. And the point is right here. Yea, let God be true, but every man a liar, as it is written, that thou mightest be justified in thy sayings, and mightest overcome when thou art judged. So the point is, the same way that you had those of our people back then that were basically hell-bent on uh, following the law of Moses and the law of sacrifice and not giving Christ the preeminence, okay, and they wanted to push that doctrine, that's not according to the scriptures nor the prophecies that you read of concerning Christ. And that by the exact same example, you have people that are pushing forth all of these different doctrines and it's not true according to the scriptures. That's the same reason he told them, listen, let God be true and every man a liar. It says that thou mightest be justified in thy saying. So how are we justified in our sayings? How can we say that something is right or something is wrong according to the scriptures? You have to read it. You have to be able to reference it by chapter and verse, or it has to be thus, and it has to also be thus say of the Lord. Okay? When you read in the scriptures about just, just certain sins in general, Okay, then what we're dealing with specifically is this whole thing about, you know, the gospel's inclusion. Okay. Anyone that wants to repent, okay, they only got part of that gospel of inclusion correct. Anyone that wants to repent and that can receive the word, they can uh -huh. repent. Okay. But the other part of that, okay, as far as being wanting to be included into the kingdom of heaven is the repenting aspect of it. Okay, meaning that what you do if you're trying to you think that you're going to follow Christ, what you do is you read the scriptures, okay, this is what the Lord said and how I'm supposed to conduct myself. We're supposed to align with the scriptures. That's how we're justified in our sins, and that's how we're overcoming we are judged. Because someone is judging you is like, okay, well, that's not correct according to God. I don't believe what you're saying. Okay, well, it says right here in the scriptures, so forth and so on. Okay, it says right here in the scriptures that I'm not supposed to be conducting myself in that manner. That's how you overcome when you are judged. And anything outside of that, the brother read the scripture. So that, that's basically another doctrine. Okay, and it's not just say of the Lord. Okay. All right, well, brother, thanks for bringing that out. Uh, I want to go ahead and move on to the uh, next clip that we have here of that interview. Or um, as strong as anybody's devotion to Jesus in many of the Christian circles. We're going to talk more about that in a, in a minute, okay, and why this is such a taboo subject within, within the black church specifically. Um, but Eddie Long, uh, you're very good friends. He sought your advice. He sought your counsel a number of times. Um, did he reach out to you when all of this started happening? We, we reached, I reached out to him. Um, a couple of years ago, we had, he embraced me. He, when he knew that I had been sort of, 
castigated from the church. He walked up to me in Vegas at the Trumpet Awards and just embraced me and said, Bishop, we didn't do you right. Wow. Now, that was a very powerful expression from him because no one else had said it that way. Uh, Interesting. I, for someone who's been very vocal about uh, homosexuality and, and that it's not accepted and he's against gay marriage, so he came, at, he came to you and said, we didn't do you right. When there, you came out and said, I accept lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender. Absolutely. absolutely. I think in his heart, he does accept them. Okay. So, um, uh, Abaja, again, you know, here's a man, <clears throat> reverend, bishop, doctor, whatever his titles are, he is accepting of gays in the church. And you brought out the fact that, you know, maybe what he left out is the fact that you accepted if you repent. Okay, but um, I don't recall repentance being mentioned. Now, maybe he just an error left that out. But can you think of any other reason that someone who has the title of bishop, for example, would make statements like that that are so contrary to what's written in the scriptures? Okay. Well, basically because the scripture was already put, uh, put up in the chat room, Jeremiah twenty three twenty one. It says, but hey, Roger, I can't hear you, brother. Okay. How about now? Can you hear me better now? Yeah, that's yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Okay. Basically, Jeremiah twenty three twenty one. It says, but if they had stood in my counsel and caused my people to hear my words, then they should have turned them from their evil way and from the evil of their doings. So basically, all these people that are not preaching according to the what's written in the scriptures, they're not taking counsel of the Lord. They're taking counsel of themselves and their own lusts. And they're not turning people away from the evil of their doings and, uh, and from the evil that they're doing. It's basically they're uh, enabling people to continue in their sins and the things that are contrary to the scriptures. I want to read another scripture as well that goes into how our Lord Jesus Christ dealt with what they call acceptance. Okay, and I'm just going to go straight to the point. When you read in John the 8th chapter, when the people had caught this woman in the act of adultery, okay, they caught this woman dealing with someone other than her husband. So it wasn't a matter of the proof of the guilt, okay? It was really a, a matter of rendering the judgment. So I'm going straight to the point at John 8 and 11 because they brought her before our Lord, okay? And let's see how our Lord dealt with her and how he included her and what advice he gave to her, okay? 8 and 11. Excuse me, I'm going to start at uh, 8 and 10. It says, When Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Have no man condemned thee? Because that, that's a key point there because the thing is, is that this whole doctrine of inclusion is focusing on those that, quote, unquote, receive condemnation from the church. Okay, they're being accused. They're being accused of doing something that is incorrect, wrong, and wicked. So we have the same example here. So he says, has no man condemned thee? She said, no man, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn thee, but here's the point. Because this is where everybody stops reading. It says, go and sin no more. So the thing is, our Lord wants us to repent. Okay. He will accept you if you are willing to repent. And that is the, the crux of what the scriptures are, are dealing with. I mean, there, there's there's no way around it. Mm-hmm. Kabar, you have any comments on this uh, particular clip? Well, I wanted to say that, you know, um, it really has to go into um the the deception 
And which the scriptures warned us about and told us that, uh, you know, perilous times shall come and how many are going to be lovers of themselves, that it goes into in Timothy. And it just shows us that all of these things are transpiring and why it's so important now, like it says in Second Timothy 2.15, to study to show ourselves approved and actually know what the scripture says. And like it says in Isaiah 8 and 20, through the law to the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. We have to use that as a filter to filter everything uh, through all of the all the information received, our thoughts, all of that has to be filtered through that so that it's Christ and the scriptures that's governing our final decisions and how we live our life. Okay, now, I, I know the scripture you're talking about. It says there's no light in them. But now, understand, you, you got people that look up to uh, this, this bishop as well as many other bishops around the country and even around the world. And you're saying the scripture's bringing out no light in them. And you're, you're, what you're indicating is this, that scripture is referring to people like a person. Is that right? According, listen, we can only go by uh, one's works. And this man's works, as it is evidenced out of his own mouth and words, is a false prophet. He, it, there is no light in him, period. A false prophet. Okay. All right, now. Just, I, yes. I, I just wanted to bring out another point also, um, because one of the things that happened, he said, when they, when they met in Vegas, Bishop Long approached him and said, we didn't do right by you, more or less, quote, unquote. I want to read Proverbs 27 and 6. It says, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. So now, if this man had been ostracized for preaching or teaching, quote, unquote, something that was against the scriptures, then the thing that should have come out of Eddie Long's mouth was basically, brother, you, you do understand what the scriptures said and why basically you've been ostracized. Okay, because the scriptures talk about have no company with that person that causes division. So the faithful wound would have been making sure that that man understood exactly what judgment was rendered with regards to him being ostracized and being letting him know, listen, what you're teaching is not according to the scriptures. But it says, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Okay, so that's just showing you that that's a whole, basically, how the Most High said in Isaiah, a cage full of unclean birds. And, and, They're and, all you know, unclean. I think I think part of that partially he's, he's kind of heading that direction. I want a little bit later in the interview about mm-hmm. how you actually uh, deal with situations like this because he you know part of what uh, he spoke about in the interview was this whole situation with Eddie Long. Uh, but before we and I want to I want to play that clip next. But before I play that, let me just uh, address a little housekeeping issue here. I, I'm hearing like a little bumping uh, sound on the audio. So if you brothers would, just go ahead and check your equipment to make sure everything is set up properly. Here's the clip. What would we do if Eddie Long really was involved in these relationships? And um, then what do we do? Do we throw him away? Do we, do we castigate him? He's a prince of a preacher. He's really a prince of a person. He's a generous spirit. He's an incredible worker in this city. Infidelity, adultery, that's a whole other uh, um, subject. But if he did this, the question is, what would we do? The people rejoiced Sunday because he didn't admit to anything. They didn't want him to. But that's what's interesting. He didn't admit to anything. There is a possibility. He said, I am not a perfect man. But he did not come up to the pulpit and say, 
I, I am not gay. He didn't say those words. He didn't say these fears, these concerns that are coming forward, this talk about me specifically. It was vague. Okay. Um, what she said is true. You know, uh, his, his address to his congregation was vague. Uh, they were cheering him on. They seemed to be very, very supportive. Um, so what, what if Eddie Long is gay? You know, what if he actually does come out and say that, Kamar? What if he actually comes out and say that? Well, uh, it will cut down on a whole lot of confusion, but this man is acting that as if we have to come up with some remedy or some new way of addressing this issue, and you don't. The scripture has already dictated what the outcome would be. First Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 1, when we identify fornication in the uh, congregation, abominations are being committed, and we're not talking about somebody who didn't know. We're talking about somebody who obviously, if it does come out and admit it, they knew and tried to cover it up. So we're talking about First Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 1, and I read on down the first five verses, and it says, it is reported commonly that there is fornication among you, and such fornication as is not so much as named among the Gentiles, one should have his should have his father's wife. So we're dealing with a situation, of course, of incest. We're dealing with a situation, of course, of fornication. We, we read about it in Leviticus 18 chapter, uh, Romans the first chapter, okay? Fornication, immoral sexual acts, which is exactly the situation that this man is being accused of, and we're dealing with the hypothetical of what it becomes in the midst that, yes, this thing that I'm being accused of is being a homosexual, immoral sexual act, he comes out and admit it was true. How do we deal with it? Verse 2, and ye are puffed up, and I have not rather mourned that he that have done this deed might be taken away from among you. For I, for I verily, as absent in the body, but present in spirit, have judged already as though I were present concerning him that have done this deed. Verse 4, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when ye are gathered together in my spirit with the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, to deliver such an one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. So where is the confusion of if he admits to this thing? Where is the misunderstanding or the new revelation we have to come up to do with this? It's clear. First Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1 on down tells you that if this thing comes out, this man has done this thing, he has to be removed. He has to be taken out of the congregation so that that evil doesn't spread and corrupt and destroy the entire body. That's the that's the judgment that should be rendered, not being confused about what we should do. Okay. And uh, we are in the midst of a discussion regarding the gospel of inclusion that was spoken of by, on CNN by um, the, the Reverend Carlton Pearson. Hi, this is Simon from the Body of Christ Church in St. Louis. I would like to invite you to our show in the STL. The shows air every Wednesday at 6 p.m. It is an hour show on Charter Communications, channel 980 and 981. So take some time out to get the good word, and may the Most High in Christ bless you.
Brothers and sisters, at this time, please accept our invitation to visit us in the virtual living room to discuss today's topic. Comments or questions are eagerly encouraged whether they agree or disagree with the viewpoints expressed by those involved in the program. To visit us in the virtual living room, please call 646-716-7749. Also, you can visit our website at thebocc.com. That's T-H-E-B-O-C-C dot com. Or you can email us at bodyofchrist at youreach dot com. Youreach is the letter U followed by the word reach. So that's bodyofchrist at youreach dot com. Or call us at 1-877-871-1712. This program is broadcast live each Sunday at 2 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Remember to visit us right now in the virtual living room by calling 646-716-7749. Now back to today's show. All right, we're back, and we are in the discussion. We're talking about the gospel of inclusion um, that um, was stated of by Reverend Carlton Pearson on a CNN interview. And I just want to mention to everyone who's listening in that if you go into the chat room, there was a uh, a, a clip, not a clip, a link to the particular interview that's on YouTube. It was posted in the chat room earlier, so if you want to listen to it in its entirety, uh, you can you can do so. Uh, Ibaja, before we uh, uh, went to the announcement, um, Kabar had asked a question: um, what, what do you do if, if he is gay? You know, what do you do? And um, the, the Reverend Pearson offered a an answer, and I'd like for you to listen to the clip and then uh, give me give me your response. So, what I mean, and 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 of course these are all allegations at this point. What if he does come forward, Bishop, and say, "I told you I wasn't a perfect man, and I've been I've been struggling with 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 this issue," uh, and he does say that he's gay. What if this story changes? How will you deal with that? Will you accept him? Will you embrace him? How would you counsel him as his friend? Well, I would put my arms around him like he did me and say, we will do you right. The scripture says, if a brother or a person is overtaken or taken over by a fault, some translations say sin, you who are spiritual, not you who are critical or you who are religious, restore, the word katartizo in Greek means to repair, to adjust. If that's his case, and he's been saying otherwise, then he's dealing with inner issues. Usually the people that speak the most vociferously against something are dealing with it in their own life. Uh, Abaja, mm-hmm. is, is he on to something there when he says that the things that you do, because I think what he's referring to is uh, Scripture in Galatians chapter 5. You know, so that it's, if... if uh, if a brother overtaken in a fault, you who are spiritual or store search one in the spirit of weakness. You know, isn't that if if Adelong is indeed gay, he comes out and says that you know he has an issue with that. Isn't that a step that would be appropriate to take? That step should have been taken long before it got to something like this. See, the thing is, is that there, there's no accountability in a lot of these churches. I want to read a scripture in James chapter 1, because the thing that people are are failing to forget, you have this man that was, you know, that was 
given the title of a bishop over a church, which means that he was in charge of supposedly guiding people in the ways and the scriptures and the understanding and the faith of Christ. So that shows you that if he was dealing with these young men, you know, in that manner, then obviously he knew better. Because you have a lot of people that come to him for guidance, which is showing you that his level of understanding is supposed to be a lot higher than the people that he's supposed to be counseling. But to even address the, uh, the directly address the question, the thing is, is that he's past the point of that. Mm-hmm. He's past the point of that. I want to read James chapter 1 and verse 12. Okay, actually, I'm going to jump right to 13. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempted he any man. 14. It says, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then, when lust have conceived, showing you, and this is saying the same thing that Christ, that our Lord was teaching us about adultery, and he was teaching us about murder. Okay, the sin starts in the mind. So it says, when lust have conceived, it bringeth forth sin, meaning the act. So now, this man being a bishop, he, he intimately knew these things as far as how the, the workings of sin goes about in the mortal body. That's when he should have been seeking help to get rid of that, if that was indeed something that he was struggling with. Not, okay, I do the deed, now I want to get help. Okay. He, he, doesn't, have that, he doesn't have that luxury of being in the position that he's in right now. Okay. So it says, when lust have conceived, it brings forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. So it's going to show you, our Lord died once unto those things, man. We can't go back into those sins. Okay. Let me, let me address something else, too. Something interesting has come up in the chat room. Uh, someone has mentioned that, uh, you know, he should not be called reverend. Uh, it says that only only the Lord's name should be called reverend. You know, uh, brothers, help me out a little bit on that. Is that, is that on point? Well, you, you know, the scriptures tell you, and Matthew's that, you know, one is your oh, about if, if you could pull it up, I'll just quote it. You know, scriptures tell you that uh, Christ already explained to us that we're not going to be the way the structure is going to be. The structure of the church is going to be established is not going to be according to the structure of this world, where you have men in power who rule over, you know, everybody else and 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 uh, control men's lives. And he said it's not going to be so amongst us, saying that of course. Uh, he that is greatest among us, or the, most, the one that the Lord appoints to to be that uh, guide, of course, that person is going to be servant to all. And then also tells us that one is your Lord and Master, even the Lord Christ, and all we are brethren. Then the scripture said, don't even call any man uh, a father on earth, for one is your father which is in heaven, which is not going into disrespect to your biological father. It's just going to show you that we look into the heavenly father for, for all our needs, for, for all things and everything. So it goes to show you that we're not supposed to put flattering titles like it tells us in Job or exaltations on men. The, the, we have brothers among us that are in a role to be guides, like the scripture says, bishops and deacons, so on and so forth, and they first and foremost are supposed to set the proper example. And then the scriptures also tell you if they don't, how they're going to receive the greater condemnation, James, uh, I believe that's three and one, or one and three, when it tells us, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. So the reason that's the case is because you, everybody looking for your example, 
And when you fail to set the example and begin to uh, set a wrong, negative, or wicked example, and people follow that, you're in a position to ruin many more people's lives than the person that the obscure brother in the congregation that nobody, you know, sees every, you know, twice a month or something. So it just goes to show us, no, we're not supposed to be putting flattering titles on one another. We are all brethren, the ones in the positions of guides and things like that. They're supposed to have a very humble demeanor uh, doing the work of the Lord. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. Uh, reference in Matthew, the 23rd chapter. And, uh, okay. How Christ goes and to talk about the titles, and he that is greatest among you shall be your servant. Basically from uh, verses 1 down to uh, verse 13. Okay. All right. Um, let's let's go ahead and move on because there's uh, another clip here where uh, there was a, a phrase used, uh, Christian Christian cannibalism. I think that's a really interesting phrase. Here's the clip. I, I'm not for Christian Christian cannibalism, eating our dead or dying, destroying them the way we do so many people. We should. He should have been able to. In fact, before this got into the media and even to the courts, I wish the young men would have come to some of the apostles around the ministry and confronted the bishop and said, let's deal with this. And then if he didn't, take it out to the courts. I wish we could gather around, and we will. If, if we find out this about, that, that, that these allegations are true, those who really love the church and love bishop will gather around him and to like to embrace him and to let him talk to us. Who could he have spoken to if that was really his issue? What could he have said? Okay, now, he brings out a real interesting point here, speaking in terms of Christian cannibalism, and uh, he, he talked about he really wished those young men had actually come to some of the uh, uh, bishops in the church and spoke with them about it so that they could actually approach it along about it within the church rather than taking it to the law. And then if they found out something was there was a problem, then go to the law. Is that in line with the scriptures, or is he all face here again? Well, that part is in line as far as you go and deal with uh, 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 Matthew chapter 15 and 1 Corinthians 5. That matter was supposed to be, the church wasn't supposed to be depending on a court system outside to determine whether this man stays there or not. They have their own duties to make to, to investigate the diligent inquisition and come to a decision in the scriptures. That part is true. And then other, there's other scriptures that tell us that we're not supposed to go to law the unbelievers, meaning we are letting outsiders that is not living according to Christ judge matters in the church. Um, so as it, as it is the capacity in the church and the structure that is set up to Christ to deal and handle matters, we're supposed to judge those matters in those capacities. As it relates to uh, laws being broken in the societies that we're in, that's a entire that's a separate matter entirely that will be dealt with, you know, in its due course. But we are supposed to matters as it relates to the church when the judgments, righteous judgments, like the scripture says, judge righteous judgments like our Lord Christ says, and render what the scripture says is supposed to be done in any particular matter. Now, if he is referring to uh, judging righteous judgment as if that's uh, Christian cannibalism, to say, listen, you've done this act, and you committed this crime, but you knowingly, uh, uh, and you willingly are going into the sin and trying to cover it, and now this is the judgment of the Lord, and you have to be as communicated. If he's referring to an action like that as Christian cannibalism and saying, no, let's just accept it, even though God and Christ is against it, let's accept it. 
because otherwise I think it would be Christian cannibalism. If that's his position, then he's totally wrong. So on the first part, as far as how it's supposed to be judged and dealt with, that's correct. But the other part as far as rendering righteous judgment and calling that Christian cannibalism, he's completely off base with that. Okay. And, uh, Abaz, you have any comments on this? No. No, I'm good. Okay. Brother, All right. Up. Okay. All right. Um, the uh, the next clip has to deal with um, why uh, homosexuality is unacceptable. Here's the clip. Why is it why is it so unacceptable to be a black man and to be gay and to and to lead a flock? Why is it so taboo? Well, first of all, it's not just biblical. I mean, there's a cultural. Of Feeling course. Here. Yeah, that, that's for white folks. See, y'all are supposed to do all that kind of stuff. We don't do that kind of stuff. <laughs> we, we real men. Um, that, that's, I said that in jest, but that's no, an underlying... No, that's what's going on. Yeah, that's a, we don't do weird stuff. So, Baja, what is it about black men that, you know, this whole notion about homosexuality is just uh, deemed to be so unacceptable, so taboo? Well, I think people had skipped past that part because they wanted to focus on black men. But the point of the matter is, the, notice that she said biblically there's an issue with it, okay? But then she had to dumb it down and say, oh, well, it's a, it's a cultural thing amongst black men. And see, that that's where people miss the point, okay? The, the, the black, so quote-unquote, black community is not the authority on what a man is supposed to be. The scriptures are, okay? that That's the point. But people always want to, you know, focus on something that takes you away from, you know, what's really at the heart of the issue. Because the thing is, also dealing with what is, what's, quote-unquote, acceptable. You know, you look at what's acceptable, quote-unquote, in the, in the so-called black community, you know, being a whoremonger and, and a whore, okay, a man that deals with a bunch of women and women that deal with a bunch of men, that's also acceptable in the black community. Okay, but you read the scriptures, that's contrary as well. Hmm. So what's your take on it, Kabar? Well, the thing is, the reason it's it, 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 exactly what the brother already pointed out, that it doesn't, well, who cares what somebody feels about this? If, if they feel lines up with the scripture, then it has some validity. But if it doesn't, it's completely, you know, useless. The scripture, the reason it's so taboo is because uh, Leviticus 2013, Romans 127 says it's against, it's an abomination to the Lord, meaning, this is a particular thing that he hates vehemently. So that's why it's so taboo. That's why it's not supposed to be done. Uh, okay, you know. So are, you, are you suggesting that somehow inherently in black people that we have that script, those scriptures in us somehow? Is that what you're suggesting? Well, the cultural aspect he's mentioning, of course, is that we don't talk about these things. It, 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 it's certainly not uh, something that uh, 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 the black community uh, either wants to face or deals with on a regular basis. So, you know, that's something that's put in the closet and it stays there. Whereas in other communities, whether it's, you know, uh, occasion, whatever, uh, that's more out, that's more accepted, that's more, you know, um, um, in the society norm. So he just, you know, they're pointing out difference in, in uh, cultural aspects as it relates to one race or the other. But still in all, those aspects are secondary and and very minor. The first and primary thing is that the reason it's is taboo and supposed to be taboo is because these are things that God is against. 
in, in the old covenant and the new covenant with Christ. These are things that Christ is against. Right, and I just wanted to bring out a couple of scriptures as well, just, okay. so, just so people understand that we're not just here running our mouths. First, I want to go to Mark chapter 1 and verse 21. Okay, it says, And when they went into Capernaum, and straightway on the Sabbath day he entered into a synagogue and taught. And they were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one that had authority and not as the scribes. And see, the thing is, is that a lot of times when people start bringing out the scriptures and saying, Thus saith the Lord, a lot of people get offended about, you know, behind that because it's like, well, you can't tell me what to do. Listen, it's, it's thus saith the Lord. God has given the authority to Christ to tell us what we're supposed to do and how we're supposed to conduct ourselves to receive salvation. And people have a problem when they have a problem with the scriptures coming out. It's not a personal thing against us. They have a problem a problem, and a personal vendetta against the Lord Jesus Christ. And they just don't realize that. It's that they're offended at the word because there's something in them that does not want to correct their ways and follow what the teachings of Christ are saying. Also, 1 Corinthians 6 and 9, to, to address that whole thing about what's acceptable in the black community. Because that's all some bull anyway. 1 Corinthians 6 and 9. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, neither idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind. Hold on a second, I lost my um, page here. But it, it's basically going down the list, showing you that all of these things are transgressions against the Heavenly Father, and these are the things that we have to repent from if we find ourselves in one or some of those categories. I mean, it's, it's not it's not rocket science. Okay. All right, here we go, verse 10. Neither thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortionists shall inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 11, again, is the point which goes into the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And such were some of you, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. So it's going to show you to be justified in the sight of the Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. We have to cleanse ourselves from those ourselves from those acts. That's the, that's the inclusion. Okay. All right, brothers. We have a visitor to the virtual living room, and visitor, you're coming to us from area code nine one four two one zero. If you would go ahead and give us your name and your comment or question, please. Hello, my name is Stanley. Uh, the question I have, because you're talking about about the homosexuality is not accepted, it should not be accepted, and things like that. But the thing is, the problem with the Bible and everything is, those people are born like that. They're never sexual being, they're attracted to the opposite sex. Those people are born like that. So how could the Bible say it is wrong when those people are born with this? Okay, great question. I've, I've actually heard that many times before. And uh, brothers, if you would go ahead and address uh, Stan, Stanley's question. Thank you so much, Stanley. Yeah. Roger, the, uh, I'm looking for now, um, you know, sort out many inventions. I think that's in the apocrypha. Yeah. I'm going to get in, in a um, second. Because yeah. I, I got a scripture I'd like to address that as well. Because that, that's a very interesting point. Because that same argument could be used to say I'm born, this, you know, to to deal with women to the point that 
you know what? I can't control myself. I'm I'm born a sex addict. Uh, I'm I'm born to you know to do other things that I find when you read the scriptures that are contrary. First Corinthians. Now this is this is not um, equally. Yeah, First Corinthians chapter five verse seven. It says, "Purge out therefore the old leaven that ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened. For even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us." So the thing is, is that we always have a choice. Okay, when you read in Genesis. That was a choice that Adam made to fall after that after that philosophy and get basically expelled out of the garden. Okay, so that whole thing about being born that way—the scriptures tell you God has made man upright, but they have sought out many inventions, and that's the scripture that the brother's getting ready to read. So basically, that whole thing—you know—that that goes into that whole doctrine of people wanting to justify themselves and in, in their wickedness and not wanting to repent. We all struggle with different things. But it goes into us having to let that love of Christ have the preeminence in us to have us to um, allow us to abstain from those sins that we that we fight. Go ahead. So, so about your basis, what you're saying then is that although you may have those urges to do something, if you read the scriptures and the scripture says it's contrary to what you have an urge to do, then you don't do that thing. Uh, some people, for some people, is, is homosexuality is what they want to do. For another person, is stealing. For another person, that may be killing. Maybe it's a serial murder. But then he would agree, "Thou shalt not kill." Then he doesn't kill. Is that what you're saying? It all goes back into whatever the lust of our flesh is. It tells us about that, what the lust of the flesh is, and the pride of life. I'll get that in a second. But Kabar's going to read the scriptures okay. to just that. Okay. Yeah. This is uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 9, excuse me, chapter 7 and verse 29. Because what the caller is saying is that, you know, the, the common argument posed in the world is, and this is according to scientific research, you know, genetic uh, research and, and science of man. And the scriptures tell you that science so-called, which is not real science, but is actually the imagination, the wicked imaginations of men. And this science of man is saying there's a gene or oh, there's something in the genetic code of a person that uh, uh, predispositions them to being gay, so on and so forth, and what they're basically trying to say is through science or God, this person is created that way, and it's a lie. Ecclesiastes chapter 7 and verse 29 tells us, it says, Lo, it's only have I found that God has made man upright, but they have sought out many inventions. Because this to tell you in the, in the beginning in Genesis that God created Adam, and from Adam he made Eve, and the man and the woman came together in order to fulfill the commandment of being fruitful and multiplying and living under God's laws. So God did not make man homosexual. You couldn't even procreate or replenish the earth under a condition like that. So if God didn't make man like that, he made man upright. The man for the woman, like it tells us in First Corinthians, and we can get that also. So this entire argument that is man-based, man full scientific-based, that a man is created or genetically predispositioned to be that way, is completely false. Scripture in Ecclesiastes 729, excuse me, Ecclesiastes 7.29 proves that God didn't make anybody like that. It says he made them upright, meaning according to his commandments to fulfill his commandments, but it says what? They set out many inventions, meaning man went into his own vain and wicked imaginations and came up with things like 
a man is made gay. So that's the problem in the world today. Okay. Well, brother, thanks for addressing that for Stan. Let's go ahead and, uh, and move on to the next clip for the interview. Uh, here's the clip. Is our churches, Kira, are filled with same gender loving people, from the from the music department to the pulpits. Black music, church music, where would it be without our same gender loving or gay musicians and singers? Not all of them are. But many of them have come to you and said, I'm gay, but I can't come oh, out. Oh, yes. Oh, and yeah. we're talking very powerful people yes, in the gospel ma industry. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Okay. So, uh, you know, uh, here again, you know, the churches are filled with people who, who are gay. You know, so um, that, that being the case, what does that say? The churches, all the scriptures you're bringing out here, you know, you had Stan call in and 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 pose a question that uh, or made a comment about people actually being born that way, you know. But the churches are filled with people like that. They 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 haven't changed. They still gay. They they're gay in church. So what is that saying about the church? Well, I want to read Isaiah 29 and 13 because the thing is, the statement that that was made, the church is full of you know, homosexual, gay, you know, lesbian, whatever people. Okay, there would be nothing wrong with that statement if it was what was added to that statement is saying, but they have repented. Okay, because the church is full of a lot of sick people. Okay, yeah, when I say sick, I mean basically they are sick from adultery. They're sick from homosexuality and lasciviousness. They're sick from uh, evil thoughts. All of those things. As a matter of fact, I'm going to read Galatians, the sixth chapter, the fifth chapter. Okay. Just to go back into that, to kind of address the previous question and lead into what we're dealing with now. Galatians 5 and 17, it says, For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. So the point is, it's going to show you that there's, as long as we're here on this earth and in this flesh, this carnal flesh, that there's going to be. Uh, a battle or a conflict between the spirit of the Heavenly Father in Christ and his righteousness and the lust of the flesh and the things that are contrary to what's written in the scriptures. So that's always going to be there. That's why Christ told us, he said, my grace is sufficient for thee. The same way he dealt with Paul, that had so when Paul had sought the Lord to take that thorn out of his flesh, it's the same thing for us. And, and the thing is, is that when you have these churches that are not teaching the people the true understanding of Jesus Christ, they are defenseless and they cannot combat against those things. That's why they're still in their madness. Isaiah twenty nine thirteen, wherefore the Lord said, For as much as this people draw near me with their mouth, and with their lips do honor me, but have removed their heart far from me, and their fear toward me is taught by precept of men. And that's exactly what we have going on. It it was going on in the past and it's even more widespread now. The fear of the Lord is being taught by precept of men, which is why you can have someone that's a quote-unquote ordained minister preach the doctrine of inclusion and not teach repentance. Because the thing is, again, that whole the only thing they have right about inclusion that, listen, if you want to repent, you can come back and repent, but you can't remain in those sins. That's what repentance and cleansing ourselves is about, not remaining in those sins. Okay, let me ask you, ask you brothers, uh, another this, about the same subject, a little bit different way. Um, if if they're gay, isn't the church the place they should be? They should be in the church. 
because you know if you're if you're righteous, you don't need the church, you don't need Jesus. But if you're if you're a sinner, then you actually do need it. So aren't they kind of in the right place? You know, the scripture says um, Christ is bringing out that we're supposed to come unto Him and learn of Christ. Okay, and the scripture also talk about us. Uh, I go to Ephesians. Um, because there's a process. I mean, no one comes to the church perfect. You know, we come and we we realize there's something wrong. The spirit of, of the Most High Christ leads us, uh, and then we go to learn about Christ. Uh, Ephesians chapter um, 4, verse uh, 21 says, If so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that ye put off concerning the former conversation the old man which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that ye put on the new man which is after, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. So we have to come and and go through this process of repentance, which is the putting up the old man, the man according to the world, the man according to the lust of our flesh, the man according to Satan. And then we have to learn of Christ and do a, put on a new man, which is the man according to the scriptures, the man according to the image of our Lord Jesus Christ. So it's not it's not that we have to accept them and they're beautiful people and God loves everybody. That's not what the scripture is saying. The scripture is saying you have an opportunity to come out of the conditions you are in, whatever sin it is, whether it's homosexuality, uh, uh, homemonger, if you're a homemonger, uh, uh, adulterer, whatever you are, the scriptures give you an opportunity through Christ to leave those things alone. But if you're if you're saying, well, God loves us like this anyway, or God loves us the way we are, and we don't have to change because there's nothing wrong with it, then of course you're dealing with. Uh, the doctrines of devil, which is exactly what this preacher is preaching when he speaks, when he speaks about the gospel of inclusion. That's not in the Bible, okay? Only repentance is what the scriptures are dealing with. Okay. All right. Um, I, we do have a visitor to the virtual living room, and visitor, you're coming to us from area code seven seven zero nine two two. If you would give us your name and your comment or question, please. Um, my name is Latina. Can you hear me? Okay. Yes. Yep. Okay. Um, I just wanted to um, share a thought and add something. I didn't realize I was going to be adding to what the brother said while I was on hold, though he covered um, some of what I wanted to say. Um, first of all, I wanted to say that when we are in a state of sin, um, whether we are, um, whether you're talking about a homosexual or someone that has committed adultery or someone that is um, a fornicator, a thief, a liar, um, transgressions against your brother, whatever the sin is or the iniquity, that is indeed a state of sin. When you come to Christ, the scriptures say, um, if you, I'll, I'll reference the third chapter um, of John, of St. John, in the fifth verse, it says, Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, He must be born again. 
And the reason I read that scripture is because um, oftentimes you hear people saying that they are born into homosexuality or um, they have generational curses and my father was a thief so I'm a thief or a whoremonger. But when we make a choice or a decision to give our lives to Christ, then the scriptures teach us that we are required to be born again. So I don't even argue or debate with someone that is living a homosexual lifestyle that they are or are not born that way. Um, I mean, I, I just would clearly take them to the scripture and remind them that whatever state we're born in, in order to serve the Most High God and to enter into his kingdom, we must be born again. So I just wanted to um, share that thought. Okay, well, Latina, thank you so much for uh, sharing that with us. Um, we do have Brother Kazakias entered the virtual living room. Hey, Zach, how you doing today, bro? Salam to all, salam to the brothers on the panel, salam to the audience members. Um, please excuse my tardiness. Uh, it's going to be short-lived, but I will definitely try to participate and uh, give the input of the Lord as much as I can. All right, brother, good, good having you here. And I, under, I understand that uh, you got your little one there with you. And uh, it's, it's nice to have him on the program also. Yeah, he can go first, trust me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's go ahead and move on to the uh, the next clip uh, where he, he speaks in terms of, um, you know, if, if if you don't have these type people in the church, then you probably won't have a church at all. There are people who come to me and say, I embrace your gospel of inclusion, Bishop, but I can't. It's not a theological issue with me. It's a business decision. I'll lose my flock. I'll use my money. I'll lose my parsonage. I'll lose myself. I can't love everybody. I can't even love me, he would say. And I want, to, I want to say to that group, and this is a wake-up call. Until the church, the church, black or otherwise, confronts, not combats, confronts this issue of human sexuality and homosexuality, which is not going away, homosexuals and homosexuality is not going away. If every gay person in our church is left, or those who have an orientation or a preference or an inclination or fantasy, if everyone left, we wouldn't have, we wouldn't have a church. <laughs> okay, they said it. I mean, it, but it, does he have a point there? You know, because I asked the question earlier, isn't that what the church is there for, for, for the center? So if, if the gays left, or would, would you have a church? If all the gays, the homosexuals, the thieves, if they all leave, would you have a church? Well, you still have the adulterers and the uh, and extortioners there. <laughs> so, okay. no. But, but in all seriousness, um, the thing about it is Christ already, our Lord already told us, he says, they that are whole need not a physician. So the thing is, is that people were going to the church, or they were supposed to be coming to the Lord to be healed of their iniquities. So now when you have an institution or a place of worship set up that is incapable of teaching them, you know, what they're doing wrong or just flat out refuses to do it, which is really the, the case in a lot of in a lot of our so called churches. They just flat out refuse to teach the gospel because he said it himself. If I teach what's in that Bible as it is written, I'm not gonna have any members. That means no members, that means no financial support. No financial support, that means he has to get a real job. Okay, because the scriptures talk about the, how the priests are supposed to be working and not live off of the, uh, the, the uh, offerings and the money that comes in from the congregation as well. 
But the point is, I want to read Ecclesiastes chapter 15 in the Apocrypha, excuse me, 16 and 12 in the Apocrypha. Because it's, that's a major point. The thing is, is that because they refuse to teach the people how to repent, which is the doctrine and the gospel of Jesus Christ, then you're going to have those who may have initially thought to go to a church because they thought that there was something there, but now they're seeing the hypocrisy, and now the gospel is being evil spoken of. So I want to read this, 16 and 12. It says, As his mercy is great, so is his correction also. He judges the man according to his works. The sinner shall not escape with his spoils, and the patient of the godly shall not be frustrated. So the thing is, is that what they'll do is they'll say, okay, well, you know what? This is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong. If you're doing that, that's wrong. Some some preachers have a different agenda. Some people's agenda might be homosexuality. Another preacher's agenda might be, you know, uh, um, whoremongering or adultery or something like that. They all have their little agenda. But as long as the money is coming in, that's all they're going to do. Okay, they're not teaching people about the mercy of the Lord and the correction of the Lord. All they're teaching about is the judgment. Well, if you do this, you're going to die. Okay, well, how do I uh, start to uh, grow in the fruits of the Spirit? Okay, I, I got plenty of the lust of the flesh. I got this all around me, but how do I grow in the fruits of the Spirit? Unless they're teaching the people to repent according to the Bible, this is not going to happen. And that's why those people are not changing, a part of the reason. But that's a whole other story. Okay, Kasaki, your thoughts on this? You know, you you and you and your son there. <laughs> What's your position on this? That uh, people, you know, if if um, if the gays left the church, then there would be no church. Well, uh, I'm gonna read what the scripture says, and this is Matthew eighteen twenty. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Now, if all the quote unquote gays, quote unquote lesbians, and so forth and so on left the church, trust me, the church. First and foremost, it's not a building. It's not a stone edifice. It's the people that are within it. And those who are truly sincere, let's get this understood, those who are truly sincere about serving the Heavenly Father, where there's two or more, in that sincerity of serving the Heavenly Father and following Christ according to the Scriptures as it is written in the Bible, there still will be a church. Maybe two people, maybe five people, maybe seven people. But if they are sincere about serving Christ and following the Heavenly Father, as it is stated and outlined in the Scriptures, there will still be a church. Okay. And, and Kabar, uh, I know you probably have one or two comments on this subject, right? Yeah. I, you know, one of the things I, I wanted to point out is the driving, motivating force behind the thing that he said, because he said it wasn't a matter of theology and when he says that, he basically means scripture. He said it's a matter of finance or it's a matter of I lose my church, my money, if, he, if I preach this thing and the members go away. What we're dealing with is filthy lucre. He's a bishop. He's a, you know, the, the, he has a title of these things. He is certainly not these things. He may not have bestowed upon him the title of a bishop, and he's preaching this gospel of inclusion. Why? He already he told him this also. He said, if I don't preach it, then I'm going to lose my business. Now, he didn't say the congregation or the body of Christ. He was speaking of it as a as a total business uh, decision, which is, which is what he said out of his own mouth. Titus chapter 1 of verse 7, it says, For a bishop must be blameless as the steward of God, 
not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to wine, no striker, and the point not given to filthy lucre. Okay, that filthy lucre is going into unjust gain, greedy for money, greedy for riches, having the love of riches. That is the motivating force behind not preaching what the scripture says according to this man's own admission. That's why it's not happening in these false churches today. And that's why the benefit of all of this going on is to joke people awake and to say, you know what, where I'm at, this isn't the, the spirit of Christ isn't here, the doctrine of Christ isn't here, the minister of Christ isn't here, and I have to leave. That's the benefit, Lord's will, that have come out of this thing and repentance that have come out of this thing when it's all said and done. But the reason these men are doing these things is for money. Money is the, is the, is the very reason. Now, he also spoke about uh, eternal judgment, you know, in, in that day, that final judgment. Let's listen to what he has to say. Yeah, there are gay doctors, police officers, attorneys. Pre- Look at the whole Catholic Church. All this idea of celibacy, it's not even natural. Um, but it's, it's out. It's like the Christian Church is having to confront its issues. It's it's platonic, plastic, superficial uh, portrayals of an angry God, a vicious God, an eternal place where everybody's going to burn, and this God with this terrible anger management problem who's going to get you, and then he's going to turn you over to the devil who, who's going to accuse you to him. And it's just it's fairy tales. But we bought into it, and now we're having to face the fact that maybe we missed it on many of these issues. Okay, let me just address the thing uh, to you, uh, Kazakia. This whole notion that, uh, you know, there's a God that has an anger management problem. It's a fairy tale. You know, what is, this, is he right about that, you know, that, that God has an anger management problem? I mean, he can't be right about that, can he? He, if he wanted to see anger, he better read uh, Genesis when the, when the earth got flooded. But he ain't seen nothing yet. All the, all of this stuff that's going on is is nothing compared to what's coming. But that's not the point of repentance. The point of repentance is getting your act together so that you don't fall under those things. I want to read uh, Titus, excuse me, First Timothy, and chapter one, and I'm gonna start at. I'll start at verse 1. Okay. And this was Paul's letter to Timothy giving him counsel because Timothy was set up over a church. Okay. It says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God our Savior, and the Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope, unto Timothy, mine own son, in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine. So this is the point of this paragraph. He said the purpose of him being there was to charge them, meaning give them the uh, the understanding or to make them understand or to enforce that they teach no other doctrine. Verse 4, neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies which minister questions rather than godly edifying which is in faith. So do. So it's going to show you. the What he's talking about, he just said a fable. Because the whole thing about all of that stuff that he just rambled on about, about the platonic, and first of all, the, the whole thing, I'm, somebody take over, because it, it I'm, I'm just like getting the overload right now from just all of the madness that just came out of this man's mouth. You know, I mean, 
uh, Yosaya, I, I have to tell you that, you know, out of listening to this whole thing, because, you know, now before the show even went on, uh, you know, we spoke about this, right? you know, this this uh, this YouTube and these things. And, you know, of course, when I called you, I, I didn't even know where to begin because it just went on and on and on, and there was no sound speech in anything this man said. But I, I tell you, I, I really have to exercise the fruits of the spirit at this point in time because this blasphemy is a button for me. And 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 this is the psychology that people have. He's not. He has nothing to do with the Bible or the scriptures. He has to do with uh, uh, theology, uh, 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 seminary school, and the and the blasphemy that is taught against God. When these people leave these institutions, they don't even believe in the gospel. They just use it as a tool to control and beguile people. And that's what, as you hear this man speak, you hear this thing coming out of him and this blasphemy against God that he's speaking about. Uh, and he's talking about, go ahead. You, you said it three times, blasphemy. For the sake of those people listening in that don't have an understanding of what you mean when you say blasphemy, would you point out what it is that he said that was blasphemous? Well, when you said this God, basically blasphemy is when you speak things that are against the Bible, things that are against the scriptures and against the will of the Heavenly Father. That's blasphemy. When you profane the holy and in the in the in the righteousness that God has set up, that's blasphemy. <clears throat> He's blasphemy against God, proclaiming things that are not true and are wrong. Okay? He's saying there is he said that eternal damnation, the devil, all of these things are a fairy tale. It's not true. Wait, let me just go over to Matthew twenty five thirty one. Let's let's speak this everlasting uh, damnation or everlasting fire. Is that a fairy tale that people we bought into? Matthew twenty four twenty one. <clears throat> this is the Lord Christ. Then shall he say also unto them on his left hand, This is when Christ divides the sheep from the goats, the righteous from the unrighteous, the tears from the weak that are in the body of Christ. He's going to tell, speak, now he's speaking to those tears, those goats, the unrighteous that are in the body. He says, then, then shall he say unto them that are on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. So where does he get that this is a fairy tale that this is going to happen to the wicked that are in these congregations? That's one point. Now, I want to address also this blasphemy that he's speaking against God, a God with an anger management problem. Let's, let's see if let, let's see what the Lord is going to, how that's going to be handled. And I'm trying to stay in the spirit. So that's how I'm just going to read the scriptures. This is Jude 14, verse 14 and 15. And it says, And Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these things, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and all their hard speeches which the ungodly sinners have spoken against them. And this thing to calling, you know, God with an anger management problem, those are those hard speeches which is going into blasphemy that men have spoken that they will answer for. 
I, I got something I wanted to read real quick. Okay. Um, I want to go to Matthew, the book of Matthew, chapter 23. Come on, bear with me a second. 23 and verse 23. Okay, because we have a very, very similar thing going on today as what we had in the past. All right. This is this, and this is uh, our Lord rebuking the leaders of that time. It says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye pay tithe of mint, anise, and cumin, and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought you to have done and not leave the other undone. So the point of the matter is, our Lord already told him. He said, "Listen, yeah, you are you 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 real concerned about the money and the, the other things coming in." Excuse me, let me correct that, because the tithes weren't dealing with money. Okay, the tithes were dealing with under the Levitical priesthood the things that the uh, that the nations, the other tribes were given to the Levites. Okay, because the Levites didn't have any inheritance, and that's how they were supported. But that same model is in, in place in a lot of these churches now. They'll say that the law is done away with. But, oh, by the way, you still got to pay your tithes, and it's 10% of your earnings. That's not according to the scriptures either. So they're mm-hmm. still concerned about the money. That, that, that has never changed, mm-hmm. uh, the income or the support. But our Lord told us, he said, the weightier matters of the law, judgment, meaning that if we break the commandments of the Heavenly Father, we are going to receive that judgment or that death. Okay. Mercy, which is what we get when we repent from the heart through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And that's the thing. They always they want to leave out judgment. They want to teach mercy according to the precept of man and faith. The faith of the Lord is that, okay, you know what? I understand that I'm a wicked person. I understand that I've done some unseemly and some nasty things in my life, but you know what? I want to change. I want to get right with God. And these are the things that they're supposed to be teaching the people according to the scriptures but they're not doing it. They're teaching it by precept of men and the tradition of men. He said, these are you to have done and not to leave the other undone. And why he said not leave the other undone? Because at that point, the Levitical priesthood was still in force. Okay. Okay, so until that priesthood was changing, you can read about that in Hebrews, the ninth and the 10th chapter, how that the high priest now is our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and he makes intercession for us in the heavens at the right hand of the Father, that's when that, that, that uh, Levitical priesthood, that carnal priesthood was still in force. So that's why he said to not leave the other undone. Because the okay. Old Testament or the Old Covenant was still in force at that time. Okay. All right. I want to go to the, the final uh, clip from that interview where he speaks in, uh, something about the universe. Let me just tell you, Bishop Eddie Long is just the tip of the iceberg. I think the universe is not judging but correcting itself, and we're having to confront these issues. Okay, the universe is not judging, but correcting itself. Now, brothers, help me out a little bit on, 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 on that statement. You know, where in the scriptures does the scripture speaks about the universe judging and correcting and so forth? I don't, I don't understand that. It doesn't. You won't find one scripture in there about the universe doing anything. The Lord says that I am he, I make the good and the evil. I raise up my hand and say to myself that there is none other but I. Okay, so that whole thing, that whole philosophy that he just brought in about the universe, that's that's taking the Lord's name in vain. Okay. I want to read Matthew 7 and 13. And this is what our Lord told us. It says, Enter ye in at the straight gate. 
For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. So even going back to what he was saying in the beginning, you know, all of this whole inclusion thing, because we got to remember the inclusion doctrine that he's preaching is not just limited to people that have a quote-unquote alternative lifestyle or a different sexual preference. Okay, he's talking about everybody under the sun, no matter where you're coming from. Okay. So witches, for example, can be included? I'm sorry? So witches can be included, is what you're saying? You know, you said everybody. That's the whole inclusion. Any and everybody under the sun. That's the inclusion doctrine. And the thing is, is that if they were including into that, that, okay, yeah, you can come. If you can hear this and understand it, you can come, but you have to cleanse your ways. You have to get in accordance with what's written in the scriptures. Then there would be nothing wrong with that because that's what the gospel preaches. Christ said, my sheep hear my voice. That's the thing. But the ones that profess to honor Christ and the following and not do the works that are written under the scriptures, they're going into that broad gate that leadeth to destruction. Because verse 14 tells us, But straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. So he's already letting us know that a lot of people, the masses, are not going to want to follow the example of Christ. They want to go into that broad gate that leads to destruction. And that that's a, a truth that, you know, that we as followers of Christ have to be willing to accept. Now, that the thing is, is that now we, we're not rendering the judgment per se as saying, okay, well, you're going to burn in hell for the rest of your life. But reading the scriptures, it says you're going to burn in hell unless you repent. And that's the gospel that we're supposed to be preaching, that, yes, now you have a means of receiving salvation and to be born again, as the sister had brought out, and to change. This mm-hmm. is the way into heaven. That's mm-hmm. what the good news is. Mm-hmm. Kabar, you, your thoughts on this uh, whole thing about the the universe uh, judging and correcting? Well, you know, and I, I mentioned this, uh, of course, in a, a Sabbath class that, that we had, and you know, part of this whole thing uh, that he's talking about of course, goes into uh, 1980, 1990, going into 2000, New Age movement, and has to do with Eastern philosophy, and which you know, they, you know, we come from the all and go back to the all, and this is this is doctrine of energy in the universe, and there ain't no God, but it just all things are for our learning. Because if you at the end of it, he says this is a good thing, and you know, all of these, there's no good and no evil. It's just a process of learning that we go through. These are the doctrines that's out there. And this, this, when he's speaking about this universe, that's that whole uh, new age doctrine that, and Eastern philosophy doctrine that is going into, especially, you know, um, Indian, Indian Hinduism and things like that. Mm-hmm. But the whole thing is that there is no, there's no, uh, and this is when people talk about universal law and all of this other madness. There is one God, and he has created all things through the Lord Christ, and he has made laws that govern everything, and he is going to bring everything into judgment. John chapter 17 and verse 3, this is the Lord Christ, and he says, and this is eternal life, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. Forget about this universe. Forget about doctrines of energy, new wave, new age movement. All of that is foolishness. There's only one God, 
the Lord, the Heavenly Father, the Most High. There's only one Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, and all men will have to bow to that. Now, you know, brothers, I, I'm going to ask you a question, and I know that you don't have, uh, I would imagine that you don't have any statistics to uh, really refer to to uh, answer this question, but just just kind of in, in general in your mind based upon the things that you noticed and experienced and so forth, you know, this, this guy, uh, Carlton Pearson, is he uh, a fair representative of what's out there in regard to uh, preachers, uh, pastors, bishops, men called rabbis and rabbis and so forth? Or would you consider him to be like a, an isolated case where here's a man that's professing uh, that is over a church, that uh, church that's supposed to have something to do with Christ and so forth, but then he makes blasphemous statements? Is this like an isolated situation, or is this something that prevails now? Well, the, the scriptures already told us that it's going to prevail by saying when Christ told us that wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction, back in Matthew the seventh chapter. Because I want to continue reading on, okay, in seven and fifteen. Mm-hmm. Okay, it says, "Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves." So he's going to show you that they look like they're coming in so-called in the the form of Christ, so they have a form of godliness about them because they're holding the Bible, but inwardly they they want to do nothing but devour, okay, whatever their agenda is. They want to devour uh, the the people and take advantage of them. Um, I'm going to read verse 10. Ye shall know them by their fruits, because this is how people can judge for themselves. It's not a matter about what we say. The Scriptures gives us the authority and what to look for. And the fruits is going into the works, meaning what are these people doing and what is, are their actions lining up according to what I'm reading here. He says, do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? So basically, if you want grapes, are you going to go pick up a thorn? So if you want a fig, are you going to go grab a thistle, which is a briar? Uh-huh. He says, even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. He says, a good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit. Neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. So, right again, we're going back into the judgment and the mercy. Okay? The judgment meaning that if we don't bring forth the good fruit, which is the fruit of the Spirit, okay, the long-suffering, the temperance, and things of that nature, that's how we receive the mercy. If we bring forth the evil fruit, then we're going to receive the judgment. It's just that simple. Verse 20, he says, wherefore by their fruits ye shall know them. So it, it just goes back to people, we have, as, as people have a responsibility, a personal responsibility to read the scriptures for ourselves and to understand it. That's what it goes back to. Okay. So statistically speaking, you know, people should be able to judge for themselves. Okay, the Bible says this. Okay, why is the church not doing this? The the scripture says that okay I don't see anywhere where it says that dietary laws are done away with, but what about you know and you have I'm just using that as an example, you know people go to many scriptures and say oh well if you read Acts the tenth chapter it was a blanket with unclean food that was talking about those people that was that Paul was sent to teach, mm-hmm. so it, it goes back to how they rest or turn the scriptures or twist them for their own means, but the okay. other part of that too is that when you read in Isaiah it says my people love to have it so. You know, a lot of people that will find themselves, those teachers with itching ears, they will find someone that's going to preach to them what they want to hear, those smooth things, instead of the repentance of Christ. Okay. 
uh, Kavar, I'd like to uh, get your uh, final summation on this whole thing. Well, you know, the scriptures told us about, you know, the first spoke by Paul warning us that, you know, in the latter days, perilous times shall come. And, you know, one of the things that he spoke about was encouraging us. And when he brought the church leaders together, um, you know, he, he brought the church leaders together and he warned them about the ravenous wolves that was going to come even among themselves, the so-called bishops and the elders, that you was going to have these false prophets and, and, and false teachers and wolves and sheep's clothing coming to devour the people. Um, but he later on brings out, uh, what is this, Acts chapter 20, I believe. Um, gosh, I can't. Well, he later on brings out that in the end, he's commending the people, the Most High, Christ, to the Scriptures, and how that was going to be the guiding point. Like all things, you know, Acts 17, you know, being like the Bereans, searching the Scriptures daily to see whether those things are so. And like the Scripture says, our our covenant made in this new covenant is with Christ, not with the church first or anything else. It is first with Christ. And it's because each individual made that covenant with Christ, we come together to form the body. But the allegiance is to Christ and to what the scripture says from following the Lord. Okay. All right, brother. Thank you so much for that. And, and thank you, uh, you and Abijah both, and Kazakia, and the people who uh, have called in today. And thanks to the people in the chat room. But most uh, thanks and gratitude goes out to the Most High and Christ. So until next time, the Most High in the name of Christ bless you all. Shalom. Brothers and sisters, thank you for visiting with us in the virtual living room of the Body of Christ Church. You can visit our website at thebocc.com or you can email us at bodyofchrist at youreach.com or call us at 877-871-1712. Until our next visit, the Most High in the name of Christ bless you. Shalom.
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.